he really got me. You know, I think it's because he was gay. Got the nuances more. get me a gay mickey gotta get a gay well hello and welcome to another episode of in the details a celebration of nuance where each week i queen out on all of the acting choices micro moments and magic in the minutiae that make a scene great my name is colin drucker you know at this point that your name is Barbara Belgettis, and this week we are joined once again. I am not alone in the queening out. This week I am happy to be joined by, let's see if I get it right, Leanne Kubich. Kubich. Kubi, oh, say it for me. Kubich. Yeah, I'm going to just edit out what I said because I don't think it sounded very nice. Uh, who uh, has recommended, much to my joy, that we queen out today on all of the acting choices, micro moments, and magic in the minutia of Muriel's Wedding. Leanne, welcome to In the Details. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Big fan, um, oh. you know, of, of this show and, of course, All Right, Mary. So, you know, I'm just super excited to be here and chatting with you today. Oh, well, thank you so much. Yeah, we have, we've tweeted and emailed on about a bunch of different things over the past, probably the past, like, six months or so. It was just, you know, uh, which I've loved. Like, it's been the best part of doing these podcasts is, like, folks like you are out there who are like, oh, yes, I love that as well. And also this. So, um, so I'm thrilled we're doing this today. Um, before we kind of hop in and get into all the new ones, uh, tell, tell the listeners a little bit about you, where else they could find you, what all you, what, what brings you to us today? Well, I am a frequent podcast guest of a few different, uh, film podcasts. Um, I've been on Wrong Reel many, many times, um, on, uh, Flixwise Canada, also Zebras in America. So they're most, well, Flixwise Canada is in Canada, but the other ones are in New York City. Um, and I'm actually a former Jersey girl myself. Uh, I moved out of Jersey about five and a half years ago to live in Kansas City. So I escaped and uh, I'm over here. But um, yeah, I, this, I found in the details from All Right Mary and you did the episode about um, uh, Rachel getting married. And I had, oh, yes. I had written about that for the pink smoke. And so I was like, oh gosh, we have to, we have to talk about this. So, yes. I mean that, cause I, I, when you had mentioned the pink smoke, I was like, oh, I know the pink smoke. Oh, oh, this is great. Yes. And Rachel getting married, like all things I like, it was all just music to my ears. Um, I, I, we've already talked about over Twitter that we also want to queen out on, uh, painted dolls, the HBO documentary from, I think like 1999 on the child beauty pageants. Yes. I mean, it was like, that's like such a, I mean, you brought that up and I was like, Oh my gosh, somebody else remembers them. I, I couldn't believe it. So yes, at some point we have to find a copy of that thing somewhere. Oh, it is, it is 110% on YouTube in multiple parts. Awesome. So I will send you the playlist. Um, yeah, I, I have to stop myself because I just want to talk about Swan Bruner's mother right now, but um, I'll save it. I'll bite my tongue. Um, let's talk about Muriel's wedding. Uh, I love that you suggested this because for All Right Mary, for like the Patreon, we've gotten a lot of requests for, for Muriel's wedding. I feel like in terms of like a queer movie or a, a movie with a queer aesthetic, it's kind of like... I don't think it's as kind of like go-to as say like Priscilla Queen of the Desert, but it feels um, when one is mentioned, then eventually the other one is. Um, 
But I'm curious. I mean, I could go off on all sorts of like queer themes, but I want to hear from your point of view what how this movie speaks to you when you first saw it. Like, give me your give me your story with Muriel. Well, I think I saw sometime like in the a few years after it came out on cable, like on Encore or something. And, you know, I just watched this little movie, and I kind of liked ABBA because my mom liked ABBA. So I was like, oh, all right, I'm going to, you know, watch this movie. And I just enjoyed it a lot because I, I found it, you know, it has like a, it's a very nice, you know, story about women who are friends. And, you know, and it has, it, it's fun and it's silly and it has, you know, uh, sweetness to it. And I just really liked it over the years. And it's like every time I watch it, it there's, it's good. You know, it, it never it never dips in quality or anything like that. And some of the things, like the little catchphrases that people take out of it are very fun and very goofy, but when you get to the movie, it has a lot of heart and a lot of uh, sympathy for its characters. And that's really the... Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, but that's why I feel like it, it, it holds on over, over this time, because it's from, like, 1994. So it's still very much, um, you know, it, it still has a lot of... Um, qualities to it that you can still you know uh, take take from it even though it's like kind of antiquated in a lot of the um you know uh, they're talking about just you know their lives they don't have social media so things are a lot different than they are now with how muriel would have friends and things like that yeah you know that's that's a good point is you know when you think about and i don't know if it's inevitable right but everything is getting remade and you wonder if there was a remake of muriel's wedding and it were made and, you know, to be set in modern times, like, how would that change things? Because, yeah, I kind of feel like, well, God, now that you say that, now it makes me think of how Muriel was such a pathological liar that having this world of online friends that she's lying to or having a fake persona with, I mean, in some ways, I almost want to see that, you know? I almost want to see that version of the story where she's able to live out these fantasies in a much more... Um, exaggerated way, you know? Yeah, I mean, I almost think if it was a remake, she she wouldn't be in the same circumstances because she'd have, have found, like, a an ABBA fan group or something like that and would have friends through that, and she wouldn't be hanging out with these mean girls from high school still, um, that sort of thing. Like, her world would be more open, and people wouldn't be like, you're a loser for listening to older music, that kind of thing, because she, she'd have people out there there absolutely be people out there who would be her friends. They've told you a thousand times how to do your hair, but you never listen. You never wear the right clothes. You're fat. You listen to 70s music. This is the 90s. We will listen to the baby animals. Nirvana. You bring us down, Muriel. You embarrass us. I, I know I'm not normal, but I'm trying to change. I'm trying to become more like you, more of a... It's too late. But I can change. You'll still be you. Muriel, you've got to find friends on your own level. She gets read for listening to older music, and now I feel like that's a sign of, like, being hip, you know? Like, it's, like, totally flipped now. Um, I, uh, and I think you're right about, uh, the idea of like not having to hang out with the mean girls like i i think that's a concept i don't know when i think about like kids in high school now you know and you think of the tropes of like i don't know like the the groups of kids hanging out in the cafeteria and the mean kids and the nerds and blah 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 and it's like there's such a it feels like they have less of a land grab now because of the internet because these quote unquote weirdos can just find each other another way 
Right. I mean, probably during the school day, you know, you're still stuck in that building, so it's got to suck because you can't get away. But at least at the end of the day, you can go on a, you know, go on Twitter, whatever, find your friends. And so it must be somewhat more, you must feel somewhat more engaged. Um, But it's obvious like Muriel was not because she didn't have that. And she was in this sort of sort of weird sheltered world of being a rich kid. Yeah. You know, and. And like a and a, a rich rich in a way where it's almost like the well the Australian the Australian expression would be like mutton dressed as lamb you know where mm-hmm. they're like uh, they're actually kind of like trashy but they're they're like going to the fancy Chinese food restaurant and like putting on the appearances and getting the you know the letter of condolence from the former prime minister but like deep down they are Gold Coast you know trash on the beach and I think that's. Um, I don't know. I, I think that's an interesting perspective that I think a lot of I've seen a lot of Australian television and cinema kind of explore of like the putting on of appearances, you know, and like the the sort of the the performance of the suburbs, you know, the 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 performance of what you want your life to look like versus what it actually is. I just feel like there's something I like Australian cinema and television like does that kind of satire and that kind of ex- exploration like very well. Deidre Chambers. Oh. What a coincidence. Deidre, pull up a chair. And I'll be shift out. Deidre, Victor Kanasui, and he's made Akira, all the way from China, uh, Japan. Deidre's a sales representative for Radiant Cosmetics. Beauty consultant, Bill. Sorry, beauty consultant. Sales representative sounds so common. I advise women on the right lipstick, base, and eyeliner. Of course, you'd know all about makeup. Your wives are probably gaseous. <laughs> Let's talk about Muriel. And when I say Muriel, I mean, I, I want to go back to what you said about having sympathy for its characters. But before we dive into the world of the movie, we'll be a little meta about it. Let's talk about Tony Collette. Let's let's get that name out there early before any time has passed. Um, what are your feelings on Tony Collette just in general as, a, as an actress, as a performer? I think she's fabulous. I mean, I, I, I put down like my three favorite other uh, performances by her. Um, and there's a, about a boy, which is just such a lovely little family film. And she plays the mom in that. She's wonderful in that film. Absolutely. About a boy. You might think a Hugh Grant family film. It's lovely. Um, and she, huh. yeah, she's, she's wonderful in that. She plays a very depressed mother who's a hippie and she's not raising her kid to be, um, to, to be able to deal with the world in the modern world. So, um, I love her in velvet Goldmine. Um, she, oh yeah, she's mm-hmm. Mandy Slade. She plays um, like the, the the David Bowie archetypes uh, American wife, um, mm-hmm. and she that's she's fantastic in that. Especially since she goes through like she puts on accents like an American accent, a British accent, in that she has like spans through time. Um, and also, there's a really small role. I love the hours. Big fan <gasps> of the hours. Huge. Oh. I saw it twice mm-hmm. in the movie theater and everything. And she plays Kitty, who's the neighbor who has like possibly has cancer. And it's a very small role, very quiet little uh, role. And, you know, you might almost forget she was in that. But I love her in that role. I love that movie overall. But she's very quiet and very, um, you know, there's a light, like a little like crack in the veneer in that in that character. Just fantastic. Oh, well, I'm so glad you mentioned that. I forgot. I mean, I did. I forgot that she was in The Hours. But I love that movie. And I love that, like, 
I mean, I love anything where, like, you know, there's an actress who has one scene and, you know, has all the impact in one scene. That's, you know, that's my kind of drag. And that's totally what she does in that movie. Um, Yes. Oh, I've seen clips from Velvet Goldmine. I've actually really just seen clips of her from Velvet Goldmine. And, yeah, I... I didn't really know what to expect. It's kind of from earlier in her career. And I was like, oh, yeah, what's this version of Tony Collette? And it was like, it was exactly what you were saying. It was like so much was, it seemed to be going on. Like the char- even in like one scene, I was like, wow, this is a very unpredictably played character. I don't really know what she's going to do. And so that was really fascinating. Um, of course, I am obviously a huge fan of Hereditary. Have you seen Hereditary? I haven't yet. Um, I've just had some some like some like uh, pretty intense family stuff going on lately. So I was like, maybe I'm going to wait on that because uh, it just kind of became, you know, released on DVD and all that stuff. And, and I was like, I was thinking about it. I'm going to give it a, some time, but I definitely want to watch it. Um, yeah, that's um, I, I think that's a good idea. It is a I think beyond it being a horror movie, it is an incredibly depressing movie. Mm. Um, and and yeah, that's a that is a wise choice. But I have to say, I mean, I have queened out about her on almost every episode of In the Details, but it bears repeating. It it is just it is uniquely one of the best performances I've ever seen in a way that like I'm so I, it feels like hyperbole to say that. You know what I mean? Like I I'm so resistant saying it's the best thing I've ever seen, but like. There's some stuff that she does in that movie where I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I, I'm just so impressed. It's like watching an Olympic athlete, like, just beat their personal best, you know? Nice, nice. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I know you did the one episode of the, the Hereditary of 1983. And that I yes. did listen to, which I thought was very interesting. Um, just the juxtaposition of, like, the modern one in this 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 older TV movie. Um, mm-hmm. But I definitely, yeah. So I was interested in that because I was like, even if I get a little spoiled on Hereditary, it's okay. Because I know it's going to be a fabulous film anyway. Right, right. Like, yeah, there are certainly surprises that things I did not know going in. But... I think if you go in from the point of view of, like, let me just see, like, Tony Collette and Anne Dowd, you know, Ooh. like, just acting, then, yeah, then nothing's lost. Yeah, big, um, big Anne Dowd fan because of The Leftovers. That woman is amazing. I am just starting, and I'm so late to the party on Anne Dowd, but I, because I haven't, I haven't seen The Leftovers yet, but I've heard other people have said the same thing, and I trust your judgment. Um, I have not, probably, for me, not similar, but a similar kind of, choice that you've made about hereditary i've made about the handmaid's tale i'm like i can't put myself through it i want to watch it but i can't put myself through it have you seen it i have not either just because I, I i guess it's on hulu or something so you know it's the, it's the subscription problem but also right. i'm like right now i don't know i don't feel like watching that but i feel it's very parallel to what's happening in our world and i mean i read the book I have it on the shelf, mm-hmm. you know. I, I it's a good great book everybody should read that book but yeah as an entertainment Right now, nah, not doing it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm glad you said that because I was feeling like it, I I hear it's like just such great acting, and I'm sure it's like a well made show. But like I, yeah, I just can't torture myself like that. It's like the same reason I still haven't watched Breaking Bad because it just seems like a very stressful experience, even if it is like a masterfully made stressful experience. You know? Oh yeah, you'll be yeah. It's very intense. The whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, in terms of something a little bit lighter, I also, and I rewatched it recently and really, really loved Little Miss Sunshine (gasps) more than I thought I would. You know what I mean? Like that movie, like it's, that's a movie that just like, yeah, that just makes me feel good. That just, I'm, 
I'm say buy into it, similar to Muriel's wedding. And Tony Collette is like she's not the flashiest role in the movie, but she's the one that you kind of go back and watch and it's like, oh man, she's been like acting the whole time. Yeah. You know? Yeah, she's very real. She's very like, you know, just like, no, I'm a real person, you know. There's not goofy or anything like that. Because there are goofy people like grandpa's pretty wacky you know um yeah but yeah no that movie's great the the brother stuff in that movie gets me the stuff with the the brother relationships i have an older brother and it's just like oh it gets me right there so when she goes down the hill to comfort Mm -hmm. him oh my god that's it yes exactly yeah the last time i saw that i was like i did not remember crying this much it was just like stupid um so yeah so tony clint i you know I in in terms of the ranking of other things you've seen her in her performance in Muriel's Wedding in terms of you know best to not as best where do you think this falls? I would say pretty much up at the best, especially since it's like her fourth film or something like that. And she really, I mean, was, I I hadn't heard of the other stuff she was in previous, so I mean that's a lot to take on as a you know probably twenty odd year old woman. She's the, in almost every scene, so like wow. That's yeah. a lot to do. You know how people say, like, with Meryl Streep, it's like, well, you can kind of see her acting. You can see her working. I think that that's probably a little bit true for Toni Collette as well. But I don't I don't mind that. You know what I mean? Like, I, I like kind of seeing the artistry sometimes. Do you see that in her performance? Well, not in this one so much because I feel like she just embodies it really, really well. Mm-hmm. So it feels very, very natural. Um, so at this, in this film, not so much. Um, but definitely, like, if, especially in Velvet Goldmine, she's acting. Cause yeah. Because her whole, her, that role, she's super artifice. So she has to act in that one. Yeah, she makes, like, she's the kind of actress where she makes, like, these really bold choices that I love, but I know they're bold choices. And I agree. I think that, like, Little Miss Sunshine and... Muriel's Wedding, and there's probably other ones where she, like, I didn't watch United States of Tara, but I'm sure there's lots of levels in there, um, where, yeah, it seems like she's just talking, and I don't, I, I don't prefer one or over the other, I like that there's both, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now, let's talk about Rachel Griffiths, um, have you, I mean, my, my biggest point of reference with her is Six Feet Under, did you watch Six Feet oh, Under? Oh, absolutely, every episode. So oh, good. So good. Such an investment. I don't know if I could go through the entire series again. Like, yeah, it's, I, it's a lot of work. I want to, but the only part that I think would bother me would be when David has that horrible, like, he's attacked. That one that one season where he's, like, he's attacked and he gets PTSD. And I'm like, ooh, that was really, 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 like, dark stuff. So I don't yeah. want to do that, but... That's part of the show, so you kind of get through that to get to where they get to the end. So, um, but I, I know I love that show. I thought she was so wonderful in that. She has such a crazy role. I mean, she's a genius who's a sex addict. I mean, that's yeah. quite a role, right? Yeah, and it's like I think what's interesting about Rachel Griffiths is that she can pl- she can somehow play, but like I don't want to say unlikable characters. She can play characters who can make unlikable decisions, but she's always charming regardless, you know? Like, I I still always like her. Oh, yeah, she's super cool. I mean, she's just... Yeah. I mean, in this, as Rhonda, she's so, so cool. I mean... Oh, yeah, I think that, like, you know, her her role and her performance, I think both the, the role that was created and how she'd embodied it, 
I think for those of us who have maybe identified with Muriel in some ways of trying, of not having a tribe, feeling like the outcast, you know, um, you know, just like feeling that sense that like when she says that one point of like, why can't it just be me? Why can't I be the one who gets it? And like when Rhonda shows up in the movie and the way that she interacts with Muriel and the way that she just carries herself, there is such a sense of relief when Rhonda shows up. Like, I'm just like, oh, thank God. This was going into like Dogville territory until Rhonda showed up, you know? Are you Muriel Hessler? No. Yes, you are. Why? I don't know why. You just are. Rhonda Eppenstall. We're at high school together. You dropped out in year 10. I dropped out in year 11. Ha! I knew it was you. Hey, swap seats. So, are you married now? What? Well, you said you weren't Muriel Heslop. If you changed your name, I thought you must have got married. No. Yes. I'm engaged. Anyone I know? What? Who? Tim. Who? What? Tim who? Oh, Sims. Tim Sims. <laughs> Don't know him. What's he like? Mm, like... No one. Smoke? What? I shouldn't. I'm an asthmatic. So where is he? Who? Tim Sims. I'm on to you. You're not wearing an engagement ring. You're here without your fiance. You're out for a good time, aren't you, Muriel? A last fling? <laughs> I suppose so. <laughs> you are wicked. Well, stick with me, because I'm wicked too. My whole life is one last fling after another. Rhonda is like kind of the same person in a way. She's like, oh, I dropped out of high school also. And I hate my, you know, we, we were both, you know, the losers in high school. But yet Rhonda's like living her life. Getting, you know, sleeping with guys, partying, smoking cigarettes, being cool, you know? And so she obviously had enough confidence to be like, no, I'm just going to be my cool self. And that's like her confidence in Muriel gives Muriel confidence. But yet Rhonda does uh, like a being there to, um, to Muriel. Mm -hmm. I mean, basically she fills in all the gaps. It's like she's, yeah. she she does the pause thing. She's like, oh, so you're married? Oh, I get it. You're you're on you're on your holiday for fun. Ha ha ha. Like she's just Muriel saying nothing. It's just like that sort of um like and being there. If people out there don't know the film, it's Peter Sellers where he plays a very um a man who has no brain basically who is made based uh, a very very uh. He, he he doesn't he's not very smart and everybody he doesn't talk very much and because of this people project onto him and then he becomes very powerful um yeah i'd say that I, i've seen being there i was like that is a solid deep cut of a reference that Rhonda totally being there to muriel i'm 10 points um I, and also shirley mclean is fabulous in that movie yes it's uh, very uncomfortable you'll see what we mean when you watch it yeah, <laughs> yeah. there's there yeah that that bedroom scene yeah um <laughs> But yeah, I I agree. Like I think that it's such a it's such a trope, right? Like you see in movies and TV of like somebody just assuming something and thus that moves the plot forward. But I think in the in the lens of Muriel's wedding, in the way that it's structured and like a lot of what happens in this movie, I mean it plays out, I don't know, like a little bit like a parable, you know? Like that there can be kind of these plot point conveniences that that move along the the larger message 
Right, because, I mean, it is somewhat interesting that, like, you know, all of a sudden, you know, Rhonda has this health scare that just happens to happen right after sort of Muriel gets settled and everything. And it's so, you know, and then so there's, yes, there's absolutely, like, sort of crises that come up that move along the plot. But yet it feels all very organic. Well, yeah, and that's what's so, it's this interesting mix. Like, I mean, it's similar to, like, Tony Collette. Sometimes she's superhuman. Sometimes she's super performative. I feel, feel like Muriel's Wedding, sometimes it feels like this weird fairy tale. And then other times, you know, you cut to, like, her parents in the car and her mother, you know, after the whole incident at the supermarket and her mother crying and saying, I need help. And him just turning the radio on. And it's like, oh, this is not just, like, some, like, parable this is like some dark human truth going on right now and so it's doing both at the same time right and it's interesting too like you know like the parable because it's like it's the the movie's kind of done in three parts it's like the bouquet is the beginning then you have sydney city of brides and then you have mariel's wedding yeah and they're like place you know they're they're title cards and it's like the first is a bouquet which is a thing of magic you know it's like you get the bouquet oh you're going to be the next one who's married then sydney city of brides is a place of magic you know, right. And then right. Muriel's Mariel's wedding, technically, I mean, it's like this magical thing that is happening to her, which she never thought would happen. Yeah. Uh, but it's, yeah. And it's not real either. That's the whole thing. Right. right. I mean, I think exactly like it's there's there's the and maybe it is in a way as I'm saying this, I'm wondering if there's the version of what's happening. That's how Muriel sees it. And then there's the version of what's really happening because it especially once everything happens with the swimmer, you know, she finds the ad in, in this magazine and it is the most nondescript, no picture, no description. It just says like, must be Australian. And so there's this kind of convenience of that. And she's so Mona Lisa about it where like, you can't tell is like, is Muriel just like blind to the fact that this is just like a total setup? Does she, is she really still seeing the romance in this situation? You know what I mean? Like, is she is she really seeing that there is something more to this than just an arrangement for a green card? Well, I mean, I think she sees it as a, you know, it's, it's more of like, I won. Like, she says, like, you know, I want to win. That's why I needed to marry you for the green card or, you know, the, the, the you know. And she's like, well, I want to win too. So she does want romantic love but it's really more the power of being married i mean and i i know that myself just personally when i got Mm -hmm. married and when i got engaged oh my gosh my social standing like shot up people treat you different when you have a ring on your finger than when you don't when you change your name from miss to mrs and stuff i mean it's amazing the power i have now just because i got married because i was lucky enough to fall in love you know, so absolutely. Right. And as a woman, and especially back in the 90s when, I mean, bridal magazines are still a thing. The bridal industry is massive. But, I mean, it was much more, you, have, you know, it, to grow up in that time. Like, I know, I'm 40 now. And I know what it's like to be like, yeah, like when you were, I was a little, little girl. That was kind of like what you were going to do. You're going to get married eventually. Muriel Heslop had a dream. <laughs> Looks like our next. <laughs> to get married. Only one thing stood in her way. No one's ever gonna marry you. You've never even had a boyfriend. Muriel's on the doll. You never wear the right clothes. You mental case! You keep away from us! Reality. The, the third act of the movie is so dark because you really are just seeing the dissonance between, like, 
the happy, what she believes is happiness and what ha real happiness is. And you just like, you know, that fall is coming because all of this is not real and it has to fall eventually. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that, yeah. And that third act is very, very, very incredible. It's very depressing. It's very sad, but there's also the truths that come out where she's finally like not lying anymore. Cause her whole life has been lying. I mean, her father's all about image and lying, you know, he, he, yeah. he, he can spin anything to make it sound like he's awesome. You know, oh, I, I, you know, I didn't win the city, you know, the Corpus Fit City Council thing. Oh, that's all right. I can do more on the grassroots level. You know, mm -hmm. he's always yeah. bullshitting everybody. And because he bullshits everybody, he gets things for it. So she sees like, oh, my dad's bullshitted people his whole life. And now he's this really powerful guy. I can bullshit people, too. And then I can get what I want. How's your uncle? Very well. I got his uncle out from China. Talk to the boys from immigration. Ian McKay and his blame. They got his uncle out from China. This is a great man. Charlie. This is Victor Kanasui, and he's mate uh, Akira. They're building a resort at Wallam Beach, and they might want a Chinese restaurant in it, so keep the food coming. <laughs> please, please. Thank you. Thank you. It's all in the house. Got his uncle out from China. And unfortunately, her mother is the one who's left behind, where she's all about image. All she is is a mom, but nobody looks at her as a human being, as a person. Like, what is Betty all about? Like, I think, I think, like, how the hell did Betty and Bill get together? How did they have these five kids? And, and how did the house devolve into, like, half of them are just sitting around chain smoking, watching cricket all day? Like, what's, what is Betty all about? What is her? Yeah. You know, and she, her image yeah. is almost non-existent. She's just a mom and a yeah. frazzled mom at that. Right. She, like, I mean, let's, let, I, let's talk about Betty. Mm -hmm. This is, I mean, this movie is fabulous, but I think that Betty is this pearl inside of this amazing oyster. You know, it's this, just, you know, to, to give names to things, because of course I had to look it up. So the actress's name is uh, Jeannie Drynan. Um, might be saying that correctly. Uh, and she, uh, it's worth noting. Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't notice a note on this podcast that she was nominated for a Best Supporting Actress from the Australian Film Institute for this movie. Well, so uh, I feel good about that. Yes. <laughs> um, I mean, just from the—I mean, from the very beginning, to your point about her just being a mom. Like, who is she? Who is this woman? The the visual storytelling of Betty from the very beginning—it's like it's like this amazing like you know still life image of this of this mother just standing in the kitchen at that spot at the counter that she goes to towards the end. And we can talk about that. Um, just kind of being paralyzed. And like, it's, I, I think I'm so impressed at like the, the economy of, of what we're shown about Betty, you know, it's like this, this little like story weave throughout the plot of like, Oh yeah. And then there's this like, you know, near catatonic mother who is going to like fall apart at any second and nobody sees her like nobody sees nobody sees her nobody hears her and i think that i don't know i i think that she's also I don't know. I feel like no, she doesn't hear or see herself either. You know what I mean? Like she's become invisible to herself. Oh, absolutely. I mean, she parrots lines that, that Bill says, um, you know, and she's like, oh, well, you know, Muriel's the most useless one of all and, and things like that. She parrots things. There's one point where Deidre Chamber says to her, oh, you must have been a Tara when you were 20s. And she's like, what, what? Oh, yeah. And she's like completely just out of it. Like she doesn't even, she can't even say like, oh, yeah, when I was in my 20s, it was so much fun. 
um, mm-hmm. probably wasn't, um, you know, and who knows what kind of person she was. Cause she's now just this sort of shaken person who's just confused all the time. Yeah. I love that moment you mentioned when, when, I guess, as they say, Deidre, Deidre, is that how they're, how they're pronouncing it? Deidre? Yes, yes. Um, when she says the thing about, oh, you must have been a, you know, a terror or a terror in your 20s. And you wish you were 22 again, Betty. Remember that age? Oh, yes. What? I bet you were a terror when you were 22. Oh, uh, she has these acting choices like that. There's also in the very beginning when one of the kids is harassing her to, to make the tea and she like fiddles with the pocket of her house dress in this way. And I know that's like such a tiny nuance, but nuances matter. Um, but it's these little things where she uh, we see the inner monologue of Betty. And I think that's so important because there's so there's so little of an actual exterior monologue. Right. And especially her her outfit. So like her, like the way like her hairdo is like this short, very matronly like thing going on it's not fashionable she's like you know she's like little gray hair going on but even her clothes are just these like i don't they're clothes that like you know like a a grandma would wear like an 80 year old woman you know like with the comfy shoes and the slacks and stuff and you're like you're probably in your 40s maybe 50 ish and and you you look no you're wearing elderly woman clothes you're not even and you know deidre chambers you know her rival is of course she's all very golden girlsy sort of suits and things but she's you know a, a peer a woman who's a peer and she's you know w- working her her middle-aged cool self and betty's just has no not not even the you know scrap of sort of individuality yeah yeah and it's i i think we see like watching this i guess i was kind of dreading knowing that things were not going to end well for betty you know and just wanting like, my fantasy is that Betty's in the front seat of that taxi going to Sydney with, you know, Muriel and Rhonda. And, like, I, you know, you try to find the consolation. Like, well, she's at peace now. But there's that buildup, I think, that we see happen with Muriel and we see happen with Betty. Muriel's, you know, Muriel's is a lot about being honest, like, finally, like, stopping lying. And I think for Betty, it's when... Bill leaves her and then she turns on her son and she's like, get out, go get a job. And like, she has that like Amanda Wingfield, like go to the movies, freak out. And I, I feel like that, I don't know, like that moment, it was, I felt like there was the, there was the terror in her twenties. You know what I mean? There was who she could have been, or there was all of the energy or all of the life in her that had been like bottled up and kept in the corner to stay out of the way. Oh yeah. That's, that's wonderful way to put it. And then of course, right away, her son, Perry takes the newspaper and starts hitting her with it. And he's like, you're a fucking embarrassment. He just yells at her. And you're just like, holy shit. Like your own son is beating you. And where did he learn that? I don't, it doesn't seem like Bill's physically abusive. They don't allude to that, but he's absolutely like abusive like, or neglectful. And like Perry just picked that right up. Totally. Yeah. yeah. To not treat her with respect. Like that's what's become the norm is to not treat her with respect. Um, I think, uh, you know, you, you had mentioned earlier that one of the things this movie does really well is there's, there's a sympathy for the side characters. And I think, for these these children, for these other siblings of Muriel's, you know, I think the most iconic one, of course, is Joni. Yes. Is you know, you're terrible, Muriel. You're terrible, Muriel. Um, but but man, when you really think about what her story is, like it is 
even more tragic than Muriel's. Exactly. Like, Joni's like, you know, she's always hanging around the house, and then she's like, I don't know what I'm going to do without her. Like, they obviously had some sort of relationship that we don't see, or her just being around the house. Joni's a little different let's put it that way she's always wearing that her dad's like old campaign shirt and Mm -hmm. she's always chain smoking and it's obvious like she's something's off with her and they kind of treat her a little nicer maybe because of that um because even the dad's like oh yeah show her the shirt you know show show off his to the businessman like her shirt that she's wearing and so she's just a little off and even at the end though she's like oh dad do you want to watch the cricket match i'll open you a beer and he's like oh yeah Joni, i'll come he's gonna try to be like a good dad then and and you're like Joni's really trying to keep the family together and like damn Joni, like we didn't even know much about you but you're really you're the one who sees everything that's happening and just we're so beaten down by it and sad yeah well, and I mean, I think, yeah, she, the one who sees everything, she and she's the one who found Betty, yeah. you know, and and she knew that it wasn't a heart attack, you know, like, it, I, I think that, like, in some ways, like, Joni is, like, the, is such a tragic figure because, like, she's never going to have her Muriel moment. She doesn't have, she's Muriel if I'm, she's not even Muriel if Rhonda never showed up because we saw what that Muriel looked like. She's worse off than Muriel at her worst, I think. Yeah, I mean, she's she's hanging around the house and does she have friends? I mean, we don't see friends. We see her hanging out with Perry, her brother. You know, they're just sitting around chain smoking. I mean, it's like, is that her life? Just hanging yeah. around. Oof, that's grim. And I think it is, yeah. Um, on the flip side in terms of side characters, I also think there's a lot of built-in nuances with the mean girls. You know, like, they are not carbon copies. Did you Do you feel that way? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you have uh, the main... Who's... Oh, gosh, the main one. Ah, oh, the one who... Starts with a T, yeah, right? uh, Yes, Tanya. Tanya, yes. yes. So, yes. The one who marries Chuck. Yes, yes. So she's, you know, she's... She is ridiculous, but there is a bit of... I mean, she like, at the end, where, when she confronts Rhonda at the wedding, and she's like, I hope somebody can do this for you, where she's like... you. Broke, you know, you kind of broke up. She didn't break up her marriage, but Rhonda was the messenger of the bad news. And she's like, well, you right, know, you right. kind of screwed my life up. And I have feelings, too, you know, even though she's a jerk, you know. So, I, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I, I thought that was an interesting redemption moment. where, she, And I think there there's another one that happens with another one of them. But that one was really interesting of, like, we saw a maturity of, like, I hope I could do the same for you someday. It was... It was someone who had been through something. Right. I mean, Nicole's interesting because she's, you know, cheating on, you know, with the the, the, the groom on with her, 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 her friend who's the bride. With, she's cheating on it in, in the house. Uh, the little blonde one. She's just kind of like a little bubbly goofball, kind of hangs around. Um, and then the other one uh, with the red hair. Um, yeah. She's, yeah, she seems to be kind of. Yeah, I, I have to give them this. At least, I mean, and this wasn't a thing back then, but they didn't ghost Mariel. They actually were like, no, we're going to we have a plan. We're going to be like, we're not going to hang out with you anymore. That is somewhat mature. It's messed up. But it's also, they're not just like, hey, we're not going to talk to you anymore. They're being honest, which is ironic, you know? Like, they were like, well, we're going to be brutally honest with you. Um, I think that the one redheaded friend, and I can't remember her name, but she has a similar, I don't think it's quite redemption, but it's nuance, has a moment, I think it's after Tanya throws the drink in Muriel's face and storms off, and she says, Muriel, you have no dignity. Hi. What a coincidence. You mental case! 
You keep away from us! And it's like she's trying it's like she's trying to say Muriel come on like don't put yourself through this embarrassment like you know like I think that she there's just these like glimmers of like she, and she's the one who has the infamous line well let her finish her orgasm first yeah I mean that's, um, that's sweet of her to be like well at least you know finish your expensive fruity drink we're gonna tell her after the holiday but I think we should tell her now Muriel what let her finish her orgasm. It, yeah, there's, I, I just think, I think that is clever writing and clever acting to not just choose to make, you know, I think so many times the mean girls in a movie or, you know, the, the mean, there's always, whether it's high school or work or, you know, mean moms at school, so often they're, they're just different shades of the same nastiness, you know, and maybe there's one that ends up being nice later. Yeah, and these are all like, you know, they have problems, but it's obvious like they just kind of, they also bought into the small town, like, I'm just going to get married and I'm going to just have a relationship and that's my whole life kind of thing. I mean, they obviously live in a, you know, a shore town or a, mm-hmm. like, like, you know, like a seaside kind of place, maybe, maybe a little bigger, like a bigger, more built up. But yeah, I mean, it's it's not a big, it's not a cosmopolitan place. No. Yeah. I, I feel like it's, it's, it's probably bigger than what's on the Jersey shore. It's probably a touch of Atlantic city. It's probably, uh, a, a, a scoop of Fort Lauderdale, mm-hmm. you know, like it's, I, I, I can, I can kind of picture the, the world that it's based on or like the area that it's based on. And it's very, um, yeah, I feel like the, what would be the similar, like the, the reference point for us is people in Porpoise spit in Australia, if it was done in America, it would probably be set in like, I don't know, maybe Tallahassee, you know, yeah, like that yes. would be probably the feeling. If you had to pick, let's say, a favorite scene or moment or acting choice, like a, like a sample from this movie that you'd say, oh, this is what I love the most about it. Which one would it be? Gosh, I mean, I kind of really love just when they're, you know, the lip sync, of course. Uh, yes. But I just like the whole sequence when they're at the resort and they're becoming friends because it's like... It's the first time, like, first of all, it's like, you know, when you're at a resort, um, you know, you're not, the, you, it's like vacation you. It's like they're wearing cheesy outfits and like that's how you are on vacation. You go to a resort and just act goofy and it's like they're becoming friends and it's always fun to make vacation friends. But this is like mm-hmm. vacation friend who like, you know, becomes her real friend. And I just, I love that the, the, maybe after the lip sync is when they're like hanging out and they're really just getting down to it. They're drinking that gigantic bottle of champagne. And she's just getting down to how, like, you know, I'm really happy. And this is just, like, it's a beautiful night together. You think I could be famous? Sure. For what? I don't know. I could be an actress. Not mental enough. <laughs> <laughs> My, my, at Waterloo, Napoleon did surrender. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And it's almost like a love relationship, but it's that kind of friendship relationship that, like, it's the best. When you find that cool girl to be friends with, it's, like, the best. Yeah, you know, it, it... It reminds me a little bit of, have you seen, oh, it's on Hulu. It's a reason to get Hulu is the show Pen15. Have you heard of it? I have heard of it, yes. Oh, 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 it is, 
it is it's so much of that spirit of like having your best friend and finding your best friend who lets you be your weird self and it it's like it is a love relationship i think i think that's a i think ronda and muriel is like a beautiful love relationship um that whether or not they were sleeping together it's like I, the love between them is like they they are soulmates, you know? Yeah, and it's also kind of cool because you don't see a relationship like this where, okay, they're friends, then Rhonda has her her uh, cancer, so now she's paralyzed, um, and it's a caretaker relationship, and she's like, I can't, you know, Rhonda's like, I can't understand why you can deal with watching me go through all this, and it's really hard for Rhonda, but Muriel's like, I get to take care of you. Like, this is awesome. Like, I love you, and I want to take care of you, and this is a great thing. Like, she's, she's not being dishonest when she says, like, every day is the best day now that I'm here. I don't have to listen to Abba anymore because I'm with you and we're friends and I, I can ha have a, a life. And, you know, it's nice to see like, yeah, having a caretaker relationship doesn't have to be a burden. It could be a good thing. It can be great for both people and be beneficial. And that is for Muriel, having that relationship is beneficial to her. It makes her life good. Uh, yeah, I, I think, yeah, I think she takes care of Rhonda because, yeah, Rhonda is the key to her having a life that feels like an Abba song. So, if that's what she has to do to continue that life, then that's what she's going to do. And it's not being a mom, which is interesting too, because we always, moms are always caretakers that, and that, but having a female who is not a mother, but is a caretaker is like just a very unusual relationship. You rarely see. Yeah. And, and the, the way that kind of Rhonda did caretaking in the beginning, I think socially, I think with like confronting the mean girls and, and validating Muriel and, and, kind of pledging her allegiance to her, I think that was a sort of emotional caretaking that was happening. Like, Rhonda was going out of her way, I think. She didn't have to do any of that, like, telling Tanya about Chuck and all of that, but she did it, I think, as a way to care for, for Muriel, to, to help, you know, salve her wounds a little, I think. Yeah, and that's, like, totally kick-ass, like, thing to do, especially, like, when you're, like, older, you don't really want to deal with, like, high school stuff, but it's kind of maybe it's to put the closure on it. She did that, to be like, no, nah, we're moving on from you yeah 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 like that story is over like you don't play that character in my life anymore come and have a drink with us hey. really you want to have a drink with me well we can't let you spend the entire holiday alone well, we're not in school anymore Rhonda. you don't have to feel you're not good enough for us now i don't if i feel you've changed i'll tell you i'm honest Unlike some people, I tell it like it is. The truth? Yes. I tell the truth, too. Nicole's having an affair with Chook. Muriel saw them fucking in the laundry on your wedding day. Stick your drink up your ass, Tanya. I would rather swallow razor blades than drink with you. Oh, by the way, I'm not alone. I'm with Muriel. You mentioned ABBA, and I think that is a fine time to chat about ABBA. Um, what are your feelings uh, uh, on the musical stylings of ABBA? Um, I'm a big fan. Uh, I love ABBA Gold. It's a great album. Little, oh. little hits on it. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I think they're, they're a fabulous band. And I think it's interesting, too, of who they were as a band, as like, why Muriel, Muriel likes them. is like there were two married couples 
who were like a pop band and then they wore these fun, crazy outfits and made this silly music and it was all very beautiful music. And of course they got divorced and all that stuff later on, but the image of how they were when they were at the height of their, their fame was two married couples who are making beautiful music. And they're super cool and they're super cosmopolitan. Wow. Of course you're going to like it. But I mean, just as like a, a, a fan myself, I mean, the music's wonderful. It's really just lovely pop music. Um, and, you know, I mean, yeah, I could chat with my mom about it. I'm not really a big fan of the Mamma Mia movies. Um, yeah. I've seen Mamma Mia 2. It was on HBO recently because uh, Stellan Skarsgård is in it, of all people. Um, oh. So, yeah. And I was just like, oh, that he wanted a paycheck. So I was like, yeah, I'll watch it. And yeah. it's very colorful and silly looking and, and very nice. Um, but hey, it's not the, you know, there's worse things. Right, right. <laughs> I, I saw the first one and I was just like, well, there's worse things, but there's also better things. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, um, ABBA, so I've, I mean, I, yeah, and I've, I've always liked ABBA in that, like, if you have good taste in music. I mean, ABBA, I think I read somewhere, and I don't know if this is true, but I love this idea that someone said that, like, if you took apart an ABBA song and you tried to put it back together in a more musically pleasing way, you couldn't do it. Like, <laughs> whatever they've done is the most perfect version of that song. I don't know if that's subjective or if that's scientific fact, but I believe it. Um, but I, so I've always, like, been aware of them. But then I actually, so I moved to, I moved, like, studied abroad in Australia during college. And then after a year in New York, I moved back to Australia for a little while because I was 23. It was 2008. You know, like, what What else is I doing? You know, <laughs> having a nervous breakdown in New York is the answer. And so um, I moved to New- I moved to Australia and I was staying with a friend of mine. And he was friends with this other guy named John. And John was obsessed with ABBA. He, I feel like he had some dvd of like all of the abba music videos it was just like abba 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 and like every so that like that time i spent in australia like especially like when i first went back in 2008 i purely associate with listening to abba like i i i have my own australian abba connection um and i i i don't know why because obviously they're all they're they're swedish but there is something so it's like it's like peanut butter and jelly for some reason. Australia and ABBA just go together like Australia and ABBA. And I don't know why. I couldn't explain it. Yeah, I, I have no clue either. I mean, they must I mean they were chart topping all over the entire world, so I I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. Cause I think it's like cause Priscilla, there's a lot of ABBA in that as well. It's like I think there's just it feels like um I guess when I think of like the stereotype of like not like there was a, an Australian craze in, in the United States, I think in like the late 80s or the 90s, where I, you know people were just obsessed with Australia and they had this like I think very kind of idealized view of Sydney and koalas and the bridge and sunshine and good day mate and all that bullshit. And it all feels very, um, it just all feels very pretty and sunny and comfortable and fun and i just think like what better soundtrack to that emotional state than abba so to me that's maybe that's where the two kind of like fit together there was something in the
want to talk about the ending. Um, because I feel like between the music and obviously what happens and um, the this, there's this moment in the taxi when Rhonda and Mariel just like lock eyes and it's just it's like this almost Thelma and Louise moment of like you and I are in on this trip together and then there's this face journey from Tony Collette of Muriel just looking out the window and it is like the perfect recipe to just like ugly cry I, I every time oh no no totally I was thinking about my 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 like my girl, well, I have two, my girls, uh, when I was watching mm-hmm. that, and I, I recently saw them um, just uh, at a funeral, unfortunately, and, uh, you know, and I was just like, thinking, like, my two girls, my, my Deanna, my Becky, and I was just like, oh, it's my girls, like, you know, and it's mm-hmm. just like, oh, you know, we've had all those good times, you know, we've had those times that, that Rhonda and Muriel had, so it's like, oh, yeah, you know, it just gets you, it really does. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I saw a friend of mine at a baby shower a few months ago who I hadn't seen in a while, but I've known her for a really long time. And for, you know, a long circuitous story that will take too long to tell in an episode about Muriel's wedding. But, you know, I feel like my I, – I had been in a point in my life where I felt like a lot of the people in my life didn't have a lot of history. It's like there are a lot of the people who are in my life right now. I felt like, oh, we've only known each other a couple of years. And I didn't feel like there were a lot of people that I had like a decade or more of history with, you know, that were still in my life. And I forgot how good it feels to reconnect with someone who's like, oh, you know me from that Australia trip. Like, you know me when I was in my early 20s. Like, you remember me in college. And like, you have that kind of, we have some kind of history. You, you, I, I exist in the world in some way because, like, you know who I am, you know? And I I think that, like, we see that – I think what we see with Rhonda and Muriel in the end is, like, certainly an acknowledgement of that and an acknowledgement of, like, and going forward, we're going to continue to be on this journey together. Like, this was a little blip, but now we're, like – we're back on the same track again. Yeah. And that, I mean, that, that's very true that like, you know, friends have fights. I mean, you know, like my, my, I've had fights with like, you know, good friends and then you get together again and it's start again, you know, yeah, continue yeah. And, and it just a new fresh start. And it's, yeah. And it's a really beautiful thing. It's just, yeah. I just love the fact that they're, you know, they, they're, they're going into the unknown and they don't care. I mean, they're both like high school dropouts. They know that yeah. they're just, just going to be working at a shop and it's going to rule. Yeah. yeah, right. Like, I feel like, you know, the, the happiest part of this movie is when they're, like, living, like, she, you know, uh, Rhonda's at the laundromat across the street, and Muriel's working at the video drama, and, you know, they can, like, you know, have the guy turn around so Rhonda can check him out through the window. Like, I just felt like it, that was the point where everything was clicking and clacking, and I think that, yeah, they're moving back to that period of time, and what I love is it's not contingent on Muriel getting back together with that guy. It's not contingent on any love affair or like any of the promises that she thought she wanted for happiness in the beginning. It's like, it's just her and Rhonda and nothing else. Rhonda doesn't even have a suitcase. Yeah, I know. She has like nothing. Enough. It's great. She has a wheelchair and that's it. And it's just like, we're going to do this. It's going to ruin. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, it's great. Yeah. I just, I think that that's, it's such a sense of hope in a movie that is like often very, feels like the edge of hopelessness. Yeah, because I mean, you think, I mean, Rhonda should be, and I mean, Rhonda actually as a, as a person who is, you know, newly like, you know, she's paralyzed and stuff. She has like a really great spirit about it. I mean, yeah, she shows it's difficult, the physical rehabilitation, all of that, but she's also like, 
she's checking out the guy in the taxi and he's checking her out. She's like, "Mm -mm, I'm still getting it on here. Like she doesn't care. Like, you know, she's like, no, I'm still, I'm young and my life is still going to go on. It's just going to be like different, but she's probably like the most positive, like that, of that type of person you've seen in any film. Like she's so positive about things. I feel like Rhonda is such a fully realized character with a disability. Even I know it's like a cancer related things, but she's in a wheelchair um, where she's not, She's not a, she's, we don't have to pity her. We don't have to be angry with her. Like her, and she, she's, her emotions are still fully like, it's not like she gets in the wheelchair and all, and all of a sudden all she is, is the woman in the wheelchair. Yeah. And it's, it is such a, it's a, it's so refreshing, you know, especially she's, she's still wearing her Doc Martens and she's still smoking her cigarettes, not saying smoking's cool, but it was the nineties and everybody smoked. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and so she's like, no, I'm still going to smoke and I'm going to, you know, see guys and I'm just, you know not going to be walking any longer. Yeah. And it's this interesting kind of example that I think for Muriel is really great that, you know, Muriel has been trying to be someone with all of these kind of external changes. And if I, I can become this better version of myself, if I change this factor, this factor, and this factor, and obviously all of that fails. Whereas Rhonda did not make the choice for her abilities to change, for her location to change, for like her whole life, for all of, you know, all these external elements of her life to change. And yet, like, I feel like it's like a RuPaul lesson of like, but, you know, to to thy known self be true, you know, like know who you are. Like once you know who you are, then all that external stuff is just external stuff because Rhonda's spirit shines through, um at every stage of this movie, regardless of kind of like what's happened to her. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that, and that's interesting, you know, bring up like just, you know, RuPaul and like just the lip sync. And that's where you see where they're like, they're sort of their, um, their relationship starts there. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, they're already friends and all that stuff, but when, when Muriel finally gets into the lip sync, cause she's really tentative at first and like Rhonda's just like banging it up, but like she's doing it and it takes Muriel a while. She's one of those lip syncers who doesn't get to, to like the, the middle, you know? And then she's just right. like, yeah. and it's beautiful when they're moving each other and they have that, the, 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 the shot goes into their face and it's like framing their face, just like the music video did. And it's just mm-hmm. so, it's just chills. I mean, it gives you chills because it's like, this is so awesome and so much fun. It's so fun not only to see Muriel having a friend, but she has a friend who she gets to indulge in, like, her private favorite thing with. You know, like, she's no longer alone in her bedroom with ABBA. Like, she has – it's, like, the difference between, like, sitting alone in your room listening to music versus, like, having a dance party in your room with a friend to music. Like, I think it it becomes – yeah, like, I don't know, it's just like, it. I think it multiplies the joy, you know, and I think uh, that's, I think, yeah, I think that's the real love story in this movie is Rhonda and Muriel, and it's because each of them accepted the other one for exactly who they were, and whatever changed externally, they were like, well, that's not what I like about you. So that stuff doesn't matter to me. Right. I mean, and like, I mean, it's that very, you know, the line that Muriel says, is like, I'm not nothing. And it's like, it's so true. It's like, you're not nothing. And she finally, you know, really, really gets it by the end through all the tragedies that she has to go through. But it's like, she didn't, she knows that, but she doesn't really get to it until that point. Of yeah tragedy and, loss having to like so to speak grow up you know take responsibility for her shitty actions because she's she embezzled money from her family 
that's really yeah. messed up. I mean, because yeah, Muriel is an incredibly sympathetic character, sympathetic character, but she's a total jerk because she just cleaned out her family. There's little kids in the family. I mean, come on, like you don't do that to people. So right, no, that was I think the thing that I was most surprised by watching this again was like, oh yeah, for most of this movie, Muriel's not a sympathetic character. She's uh, not to be trusted. She's a pathological liar. And we know why, but, you know, we know where it comes from. So there's like a human element there. But I, you know, I even think like once Rhonda and Muriel gets to Sydney, like once they have to build a life, you know, obviously like, you know, the, the movie's over and, you know, we're going to just assume everything works out. But in like in real life, and I've done this, I moved to California, I moved to Australia, you can change your location, but your baggage meets you at the door. Oh, and yeah. so... Like, I, I mean, I'd love to just see, like, yeah, what is Rhonda? And, like, that's the TV series that I want to see spin off from this movie is, like, what's Rhonda and Muriel's life now in Sydney? No, I mean, that's funny because, like, you know, talking about, I mean, I'm, I'm that kind of person. I mean, I lived in Jersey for 35 years, like 10 miles outside of, you know, could see New York outside my window every day. And then I mm-hmm. moved to the middle of the country. And yeah, I changed like a lot because I could. I was like, oh my God, I'm alone. I can do whatever I want. I mean, with my husband, but you know what I mean? Like, so to speak, it's like, Mm -hmm. we don't have anybody here. It's just us. I can do whatever I want. And I did. I've had red hair, purple hair, pink hair, uh, an unfortunate blonde time. Uh, You know, I just, I got got crazy. I dyed my hair crazy colors. I started a business. I did all these crazy things I would have never done just because I was like, I'm in a new place. Yeah. And yeah. but for me, because, and then I've had to realize truths and things like that. And I'm like, I've had to change who I am as a person and like kind of come to terms with my cultural problems I had back East and things like that. And now I'm like a much more self-actualized as a person because I was like, ah, okay. You have to realize who you are in your, mm-hmm. and then, and how I live in the world. And so now I'm like, yeah. So it's funny. Cause in the past I wouldn't, I, I, I didn't, uh, identify with the film like that in that regard, but now I do because I'm the person who moved also now. Right, you know? right. Yeah, well, and I think that's like, you know, again, you were saying about Muriel's wedding is like every time you watch it, you get something new out of it. And I, watching this again, I, yeah, it was like, oh, this is a movie I want to watch repeatedly because I, I just, I love, I don't know, I love following Muriel on that journey and then like, I think in some ways there's probably an older version of me that identified with Muriel more in the beginning and then maybe more about identified with Muriel when she was in Sydney and then when she was like dating the swimmer. Like Muriel's journey, I think we've all kind of maybe not had the exact same experience, but the emotional elements of each stage in that journey, I think we've I think a lot of us have had similar versions of that, of of having to face reality or knowing that we were creating an illusion and fooling ourselves and trying to fool other people like all the stuff that she does to grow up and to get to the like the point of getting honest with herself and other people um yeah i don't know it's like a very relatable story and i think it's relatable at different stages of your life yeah which is surprising yeah because when i first saw this it was i was probably still i was like early 20 you know whatever teenager and now you know i'm 40 and i'm like no i see I see how, yes, a location can change a person and can make you feel like you have like superpowers in a weird way, you know? Like, yeah. I moved to Kansas City and I was like, oh my God, like, I mean, this place, yeah, it's a lot smaller, but it's like, you know, imagine New York City, but like, you know, with all the culture, but just little, like it's just a million people as opposed to millions. And it's like, right. And it's just like, yeah, I feel uh, this is the best. I'm cool. Everybody likes me. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, that's like, I mean, it goes back to that thing, right, of like, as human beings, and I, I had this experience when I 
when I lived in California before I moved back to New York where, you know, I didn't really, you know, I moved there and like, I didn't have any people. I didn't really have a tribe. I like, and, and I needed to kind of be alone for a while. So some of this was a little self-induced, but like some of it then it was like, okay, well, uh, this is, I'm, I'm starting to really feel the lack of people in my life. And once I moved back to New York and I reconnected with friends and I made new friends, and like my life now is so much richer and I'm very grateful for that. And I only say that so nobody feels bad for me. Um, I can look back and that what you're talking about, that feeling of like, oh, I feel good and everybody likes me. And um, it, it just goes back to, I think, what what Muriel kind of discovers in this movie and like what I discovered and like what you've discovered in Kansas City of like, it's just about like finding where you belong and like finding your people and like feeling that sense of like connection and community. And like that, that's like basic nutrition. Like if we don't have that, like we start to go crazy. Right. And it's like one of those things we just don't think about. I mean, and it's funny too, cause you know, like think of like Muriel and you think like she would have had a community or something. She has four other siblings. There's a big family. You would think there would be just that pull of family and things. And there's nothing there. Which is yeah. very tragic, like that she has this huge family and they're just kind of there. They're not a family. They're just a bunch of people, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like, I mean, it, certainly the first three, you know, Muriel and her two older siblings, it feels like people that society has left behind or they've got, they've fallen behind in the race. And then the younger siblings, it's like, well, I don't see this working out any better for them. Like, I think the path's been paved. And, you know, I, I think the real darkness is that, like, this is not an uncommon story. Like all over the world, certainly in the United States, like there are people where they're just living at home. They don't have a job. They don't really have friends. They don't really have a sense of direction. And I don't say that judgmentally. It's it's really sad. And I think it, a certain depression and stagnation can sink in where it's like, you know, good luck getting out of it. Like you have no fuel in your tank to pull yourself out of it. And um, I think I, I can feel the truth of that in this movie. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because it's like, yeah, you know, you're, you don't, you don't have a good uh, solid background or, or support. How can you really go out there and be somebody like it's, it's interesting nuance wise where you see at the very end when they, they ride off in the cab and you know, uh, Rhonda's mother is kind of pissed off. She's like, how could you do this? And like, leave her or, or just take her away. You know, let's just do that. And Rhonda's like, no, she can't. Mm-hmm. And they get in the, and they get in the cab and then you see Rhonda's mother's face. And her smile is so proud and happy. She has, like, tears in her eyes. She's like, I'm so proud of my daughter is getting the hell out of here. And she doesn't yeah. say that to her, but you can tell, like, she had, like, Rhonda had support and stability from that mom. And that's why she could be this sort of, like, you know, cocky kind of cool person. Because yeah. mom supports her in that. You know, she yeah. gets it. So well, I'm glad you mentioned Rhonda's mom. I just, I love that nuance at the end of her being kind of, like, proud of her of like it was hard but it was like she had to have felt that sense of like oh I want my daughter to be independent I want her to have her own life like she had it once before like I think um yeah like there has to be a lot of that of like is uh the importance of getting out you know and I think that's really the message at the end is like these three mean girls it's like you you were the queen bees of porpoise spit but you're just the queen bees of porpoise spit and you're not even probably the queens anymore. You know, you've, you've grown up and now you're divorced and you're this and you're that. You know, the, I think a lot of people see this happen. I mean, I, I definitely saw it in my own life of like kids I went to, you know, high school with, you know, or, or junior high who were jerks to me, you know. And I can see on Facebook now it's like, 
well, you didn't really you didn't really go anywhere in any way. And like, not that there's anything wrong with like sticking in your hometown, but I mean, like, I don't think they left the bedroom they grew up in, you know, like there was no advancement. And so, um, yeah. And even like Tanya, you know, she's, yeah, she's like, I mean, she even says at the end or she's talking about how Chuck is, 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 uh, he's been arrested for a possible rape charge and all this stuff and she's justifying it. And it's like, Tanya, your life sucks. Like, you are married to a piece of garbage um, and you have friends who lie to you and yet you're still like, I'm so great. Everything's great. And it's like, Tanya, no, things are bad. They're really, really, you're deluding yourself completely. You're not cool anymore. No. Get and out. Like she has, you know? Yeah. She has that line where she's like, I'm beautiful. And she says it, of course, in the most ugly way possible. And it's like, it's like this perfect, you know, poetic irony of, of this Shrill, this woman, this girl, this like popular girl who turned into this shrill, angry, hurt woman trapped in porpoise spit, screaming as loud as she can that she's beautiful. Who do you think you are to call me that? I'm married. I'm beautiful. It's an interesting parallel because I feel like she is, she's like the truth of what Muriel was trying to be. Like, I think when Muriel sees that, she's seeing the illusion that she believed in when she was younger. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can even see, like, at the very, the first scene, you know, at the wedding where she's, oh, my God, she got the bouquet. And it's like, you know, and yeah, I have caught the bouquet once at a wedding. And it is like the goofiest feeling. You feel like, you know, you've won the lottery. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh Um, You know, but she's so, like, you can tell she believes in that magic that it's, like, really going to happen. You can see it in her eyes. And it's like, oh, honey, no, no, it's not, you know. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But you know, it's like I, at least there's a happy ending again because there are some there are some dark turns where I was like, man, this movie like you're gonna need to pick up my spirits in the in the last ten minutes here because I am broken and I I think it ends on the perfect note um, without even being too um, like too sugary sweeter like it doesn't feel it earns the sweetness of the final scene oh absolutely because you've gone through like really bad stuff i mean bill is now has lost deidre because she doesn't want to marry him and have to take care of a bunch of kids understandably and you know he's even at that point has become sort of a he realizes how shitty he's been and he's gonna try at least to be better um better person you can tell he's heartbroken at a certain point and, mm. you know, and it, it's good that you, you know, you have this realization that he has to get it together as a father, as a dad and not be a jerk off anymore to his kids, you know? Yeah. So that, yeah. that's satisfying that a horrible way it had to happen, though. That's the tragedy of the thing. You know? Right, right. But then I think, you know, it's like as much as I, I would want Betty in the front seat of that of that taxi, it's like there is that feeling of like, ugh, like. At least she's at peace. I don't know. Like, that was a tortured woman. And, uh, you know, it's sad to think, well, you know, at least she's dead. But, like, I I think that as much as Muriel and Rhonda were able to get out of there, I think Betty was too far gone.
Well, have, is there anything I've missed that you want to chat about on Muriel's wedding before we close well, the book? I think it's just like fun. Like a lot of the things that are done because it is pretty swift. It's a pretty swift narrative. It's like there's not a lot of yeah. it, it's a lot of it's done with clothing. So, of course, you know, Muriel's outfits at the beginning are painful. I mean, like her accessories are lame. Everything's bad. Oh. And then when she gets like her, so to speak, glow up when she goes to Sydney and she has all the right clothes and those that outfit she's wearing and like unless you were around in 1994 that was a really cool outfit it had that like yeah. batik thing going on with like that sort of tie-dye and she's got like jean shorts with tights on so cool that was like the look absolutely so i love all that like how she just she has like the it, it's like the little things she's not super fast fashionable or anything um but mm -hmm. she has enough or because her friend probably helped her out she has a friend who can help her out get clothes now yay like yeah that, get and, her out of that leopard print yeah, yeah. And that's the thing leopard print should be cool but she could not wear it she could not carry you know pull it off unfortunately no. didn't work on yeah. her but yet she finds a friend so it's like you don't see them all doing all these friend things but you know because of how she looks and it's just yeah you know um and so i love that there's just those little nuances of just clothing and even her like not listening to abba you don't hear abba for a short for a, a period in the film until you hear it again for reasons you know sad right right yeah you know it's funny when you say about the clothes i i noticed that in the last scene when um muriel's talking to bill outside like there's something very like there's some she looks very adult and very mature in that scene a lot of it is tony collette's acting the way she's carrying herself but i feel like she's just wearing this kind of like i don't i i don't think it looked is it similar to like her mother's kind of house dresses? It's this kind of like flowy thing. I don't know if that's the illusion, but um, it's a lot more relaxed. Maybe is the is the idea. Yeah, it's more it's more adult. Um, and also, I mean, I just also, I mean, the the one just a nuance, the tiniest thing is when she goes to try the wedding dress the first time, and the bridal store owner is wearing this very smart suit with sort of like a cape, sort of scarf situation going on, and it's so wonderful. It's just so nineteen nineties. People were very, like, you know, still very formal then. And mm -hmm. it, just that outfit she's wearing is so over the top. I love oh, it. The, the bridal shop employees are, like, obviously, like, if I were in this movie, I'd want to play the mother or, or Rhonda. You know, I want, to, I want a good role. But if I couldn't get a good role, I want to be one of the bridal shop employees. Like, what a great, like, three-line, four-line role. Yeah, it is great. Because, I mean, that's the thing. Like, they, those outfit. like, if anybody thinks, like, looking at that, like, oh, those wedding dresses are really goofy. That was the style for yeah. a long time until, like, I don't know, maybe... Like the turn of the century, I would say we didn't get into away from that poofy taffeta thing, you know? Right. So that was like the hot shit, which is kind of weird looking at it. It looks super antiquated. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, like, I it, I don't know what, what brides are wearing now. I'm assuming Vera Wang is, is involved, is somehow involved in a lot of bridal definitely, now. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's like, yeah, the 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 over-the-top pageantry and drag of it and these employees who really kind of keep that fantasy alive so like you walk into some random shop on the road and all of a sudden they're talking to you like you know like it's oh when's your when's your big day like there's this air and this energy about it all that like it's all it's all elevated it's all campy and ridiculous even the interactions Oh, yeah. And of course, of well, Muriel's wedding is the most campy thing in the world. I mean, well, it's it's like it's interesting because her dress is actually like way less terrible looking than it could have been. And yeah, yeah. Like, it's it's campy enough. It's not too over the top. And even like, you know, the, the, it's pretty I mean, it's it's 
there's a lot of flowers, but it's tasteful enough. But it's just when she starts playing that I do ABBA song at full blast is when it just uh, cheesy as hell. And it's totally ruins the, the elegant uh, nature of things. But goddamn funny as hell. This has been. I thank you so much for bringing Muriel's wedding and ABBA into my life again. I, um, yeah, this movie. Like again, people have been suggesting it over and over for a Patreon episode, and we've been like, oh yeah, sure, it's sort of on the nose. Like we'll get to it eventually. And I feel like I have to apologize. I'm like everyone was right this whole time, and I don't know what I was sitting on. So um, this was this was just so much fun, and uh, ugh. Thank you. Thank you for suggesting this. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm, you know, longtime fan, as they say, and, you know, a longtime listener. And it's just, you know, it's just a thrill to be able to chat with you and, you know, Jersey guy, Jersey girl, even though I'm, I'm, uh, I'm the Jersey contingent, keep holding down the fort in the middle of the country. We have to have, you know, satellite mm-hmm. offices of Jersey people all over. So I take totally. this area. You know, oh, but you, yes. You, you're doing good work. <laughs> Thank you. You try, you know, spreading the, the gospel of like, you know, Uncle Floyd and, and things to people who have like no idea what I'm talking about. So Right, right. <laughs> oh, I love it. Now, uh, if folks want to hear more of you, connect with you, if you, however you would want people to know more about you, what would be the way to do that? Um, uh, well, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, I'm uh, Liana Marie K on Twitter. Uh, I'm on there a lot talking about movies, also soccer. I'm a big, really big soccer fan. So you'll see me like tweeting about movies or soccer uh so that's a little random and um yeah and i'm on uh there's a wrong reel uh episode that should be coming out you know sometime i think in june where we're talking about a yugoslavian film called underground by amir costa rica so that's another episode i'm gonna be on i've been on wrong reel a bunch of times uh so you can look back on those episodes so yeah just kind of check me out film twitter you know one of those guys but <laughs> it's okay yeah we're friends we're, we're friendly you know we just make like, yeah yeah so oh good yeah i i started i was listening to the episode you did where you guys talked about um jesus christ superstar oh, and yes. april fool's day and i was like april fool's day i love that movie i uh i love that movie i could go on about amy Steele all day yeah but, that was my uh, first time seeing it so that was a, that was a very fun one that we did that, that was one. yeah yeah that's uh a great choice it's so oh my god this episode has to end, but that is such a campy movie and it deserves its own episode. Um, so let this be a teaser for that. Um, folks, if you want to get more of me, you know how to do that. You can just drop me an email at inthedetailspod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at Colin Drucker. You can find me on Instagram at Colin Drucker underscore because Colin Drucker was taken. I don't know why. Um, and, you know, you could leave me a review on iTunes, which is always welcomed, or even just a nice five-star rating. Anything less than that, I don't know what the point is. Um... Otherwise, I will be... All right, Mary is finally going to be slowing down with season 11 
finally ending. So I am hoping to get lots more in the details episodes out. We've got more Cherishing Valerie. We've got more guests coming. Um, yeah, I've got a lot planned. Um, more Brenda Vaccaro. We haven't talked about her at all this episode, so I just want to mention that name. And uh, other than that, Leanne, thank you so much for coming on the show. And um, otherwise, I think that's all for me. So I will be back, if not next week, at some point in the next couple weeks for more queening out on all of the magic in the minutiae and all of the nuances and all of the acting choices. I said it out of order, but doesn't matter in the details. See ya. <laughs>